You're listening to the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology Podcast. If you've been following along with some of the shorter solo episodes I've been doing recently, uh, episode 12, Invested Players, and episode 13, Laying the Foundation of a Campaign, then today's episode is the continuation of that little series on getting your campaign going that comes right out of my book. I'm Robert Walker, author of Session Zero, the DMG to writing great campaigns in any system. And this is my show where I teach collaborative storytellers how to have more immersive campaigns using psychology. And today, what we're going to be talking about is your Session Zero and your main characters or character creation. I want to talk about these together because most of the time, this is something that I do together. We run our Session Zero at the same time as uh, characters are being created around the table. So there's a really good opportunity to understand what the rules are your character's going to uh, be created under, and then you get along to creating that character and developing a backstory. Very important things. So you've set the stage by laying your foundations. You know what your big problem is. You know what your humble beginnings are going to be for your characters. Uh, So the next thing that we're going to go into is Um, character creation. And it's a large part of session zero. And I want to cover it first, but it's not the only thing that needs to be done to weave characters into your world and set player expectations. In my experience, it's one of the most important parts is actually the process of developing your character backstories. To me, that has a lot more impact on the story than the character sheet. So part of this is developing a very good, clean and understandable backstory. It's because from here on in your campaign and your story, you're building it around the main characters, just like the stories of Harry Potter were written around the main characters with their actions and decisions shaping the way that the story took to its ultimate end that was already known. A story without characters is just an empty setting, a backdrop, but characters can be moved beyond the scope of a single story. Therefore, I want you to understand your main characters before you create that roadmap of how they're going to get from your point A to your point Z that you've already identified. So the first part I want to talk about is filling out those character sheets. For some players, it's by far the most exciting part of character creation. And for other characters, it's very much the opposite. I I tend to find that those who prefer a creation process that allows for absolute equity, and then there's those that prefer the role of the dice. There's kind of these two different types of character creation preferences. Methods that provide equity would be using like a point bay stat method or a stat array. I don't mind either of these systems, honestly, but in my heart, I've just, I think it's because I started in early editions Dungeons and Dragons. So I've always been a roll of the dice purist. And I admit that sometimes that might be a fault, but it's just my own personal preference. And um, I know that there's arguments for and against each method, Uh, I'm not going to be the one to tell you that anyway is right or wrong. I will say, however, the method that I like, the randomness, if you're using that as their method, there can be some disparities in character abilities. And there have been times in my gaming career where those things have led to out-of-game resentment or disgruntlement if players are not playing cooperatively. Some DMs decide to mitigate this by adjusting rolled stat arrays to make them more even, but at which point... To me, that just becomes closer to a point by a system or a stat array anyways. So why don't you just start with that if that's what you're going to do? I like just roll of the dice and that's what you get. But 
Again, personal preference. So you might wonder, though, why I, why I do advocate for it. And like I mentioned, it can create disparities. Um, but my simple answer is this. I like roll of the dice because people in the real world are more varied in their skills and abilities than can be represented by a system of absolute equity. And I think an important part of story immersion for me is that games feel real. They, they need to be believable. And a part of the reality that I know is that each person has their own unique strengths and weaknesses, and some of those are the luck of nature and nurture. But no good story, I think, that you've ever read has main characters that are all equal in their abilities. Such a story would really not be fun or believable. And I think for that reason, my, my method is one that gives a semblance of reality to my main characters. Think if you've seen the new Dungeons & Dragons movie. They illustrate this concept that I have perfectly because the main character basically has no abilities. He's decent scrapper, but really he's not strong. He's not got any magic. He doesn't have any like super fighting combat abilities like other people in their party. He really is, like he says, he makes plans. So presumably he has a relatively high intelligence, but doesn't really have high enough character classes to have any magic or unique abilities, he's certainly at a disparity. And while that's what happens in the roll of the dice method, sometimes that character that has the lowest set of stats and the lowest abilities still ends up being the main character. It's because it's a story and stories are out about overcoming difficulties and overcoming hardships. And what greater thing is there to overcome than to become the leader of a group that has a ton of abilities when you don't like that's that shows high charisma and high intelligence, but they have clearly levels. I mean, some of the spells the wizard was thrown around were insane. So you know that they're way higher level as well. So and another reason is uh, the disparity between characters, in my opinion, can create more cooperative play when your characters choose to use their strengths and weaknesses in a cooperative manner. Point by methods don't don't really do this. They mean that in any given situation. A character has as almost as much of a chance to succeed as any other character, which means there's not the same requirement for cooperation to overcome strengths and weaknesses. Again, if you have a basic stat array and everyone's stats are kind of in the middle between you know, 10 and 17, pretty much, I mean, you're talking about a number on a dice difference in your roll that's like one or two points. So you could roll a 15 and your neighbor could roll a 13, and if they have the better you know, skill bonus or whatever it is, like you're basically the same. In a bigger stat variety, that doesn't happen. You have some people that might end up with an 18 and that same stat for another character could end up being their dump stat at like a six where they have a significant minus. And so they have to rely on one another to compensate for their weaknesses. I really like that, but obviously it's not for everybody. And as I mentioned prior to my rant, the most important part of character creation is developing that cohesive backstory and character personality. So a good character backstory should be tied to the foundations you have laid for your campaign. It should incorporate some of the elements of who, what, and where that we discussed in that last episode, and it should reflect the starting points of your campaign, the humble beginnings. If your player, again, has that backstory about being a world traveler or a famous bard, they're missing out on growth from humble beginnings. It also doesn't make sense for weak, low-level characters to be worldly experienced. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, low-level characters are, by their very definition, characters who lack experience. 
So your character backstory should reflect that. So instead of grand backstories, I always advocate um, tying them to the world and to each other. I cannot emphasize enough the value of having a group of players who characters are connected in some way. It's unity of purpose that the that's just built in from the beginning of the game, and it will drastically improve uh, your players' investment in each other's characters before even starting the first scene. They will have a connection that means they are important to one another, and they want to see each other's goals succeed. It also, I think, from my experience, keeps a lot of the randomness and chaos chaos that a you know character who has no ties to the party can can have because they don't have to worry about the way that the other characters feel. So aside from just having ties built into the backstories, it's also very valuable to have your players solidify a few pieces of information regarding their personality. So a lot of settings do this through alignment, but that concept can be somewhat arbitrary. Find out how your players are planning to play their character. Maybe a few goals that they might have Um, But also find out things like how do they handle frustration and loss? How do they deal with anger? Um, Even asking the player questions and incorporating answers into their backstory, like I do when writing my own foundations, I do the question and self-answer process. Do that with the player. Ask them questions about their character, get them to give you answers, and then add those answers to their backstory. It can be really useful for plot devices, and you might want to utilize those ideas later in your campaign. i mentioned alignment briefly before, and I do want to discuss it a bit further. I mentioned before that it can be somewhat arbitrary. There's also a reimagining that's taking place throughout the various RPG systems that's eliminating alignment from races in general. When I wrote the first edition of my book, I had very different opinions than I hold now. Uh, I was holding sort of an outdated perspective that this is just a game and stated that as a game, it was perfectly acceptable to categorize characters and monsters by good and evil. But I spent a lot of time doing research, and if you've listened to the show, you've probably heard about this story. And I listened to the stories of those who felt marginalized or excluded from the RPG community because of things like the alignment system. So I I now look at that idea very differently. I, I already mentioned that I want to write games or have games that reflect real life. And I think it's important to understand that no individual is destined to act or behave a certain way by virtue of their race or birth. That means that no character should be pigeonholed into any alignment based on their character race. If you do choose to incorporate character alignment into your game, I would try to base it on specific things like backstory and character choices rather than race or species. This ensures that people can come to your table knowing that there's not stereotypes about their skin color or their identity or their background that are woven into and upheld by your gaming group. Along with that, character creation and backstories, session zero is really all about setting expectations. So that alignment thing I just mentioned before, having that in place would already be setting an expectation of inclusivity at your table. But expectations for your game can include other things like uh, lines and veils, player expectations, house rules, and other safety tools. Probably for me, the most important part of setting these expectations is writing them down so that they can be referenced later if you need. If you do a quick Google search for Session Zero checklists, there's many different ones that are available to use for free. You can print them out and you can go over them in your Session Zero, but I'm gonna give you an outline of what I consider to be the most important aspects and what you should consider incorporating into your Session Zero 
And we're going to go ahead and do that as tricks of the trade. All right, first for tricks of the trade, we're going to be talking about lines and veils. Some of the most important boundaries to set during your session zero are known as lines and veils. They're a safety tool, equally important to help dungeon masters and players. They can help a dungeon master understand what elements should be kept out of the story or just sort of put like behind a veil. Think of lines as story barriers that are not to be crossed and veils as screens behind which certain story elements can be obscured. So one of the important parts of lines and veils that each person involved in the game table, they need to have equal opportunity to set and the best time to set them is during session zero. If a person has a boundary, session zero is the time to bring it up. But remember, lines and veils can change for people from time to time. And as a DM, you need to respect that a person's boundaries can change. So try to think of lines and veils as player consent. And consent can be granted or revoked at any time for any reason. So when a player has told you that they have a line, your job as a DM to make sure that you do not incorporate that line into your story and you do not allow other players to cross that line during roleplay. The same goes for veils. If your group has decided sexual encounters, for example, will fade to black, then whenever one of them occurs, they need to fade to black. Player safety and comfort are, are very important in having a successful campaign and lines and veils are a great foundation to ensuring that safety and comfort. So definitely include them in your session zero. Next in your session zero, I would talk about other safety tools. There are many that you can embrace, but the one that I would suggest or the two that I would suggest to start with are game ratings and X cards. They're ways for your players to modify the way that the narrative is being told if things become difficult or triggering for them. This could happen at any time, but most of these tools will come into play when the narrative becomes dark, scary, violent sexy, anything that somebody might have a problem with. So during your session zero, establish the best rating for your game and decide if you're going to use an X card or a similar tool. So when I talk about great game rating, what I'm talking about is just like just like going to the movies, set a rating for, for the behavior of your game or how it will present. So you could have a G, PG, PG-13, R, NC-17, X, double X, triple X, you know, whatever whatever it is, the kind of role-playing and story that you're telling, I assume you have an idea what each of those already means. And if you don't, a quick Google search uh, on motion picture ratings would clear that up for you. But translating that into tabletop is pretty simple. For a PG-13 game, for example, there might be some violence and scenes with sex, but for the most part, anything graphic in these categories would automatically be veiled, where an R rating would allow for more of that type of stuff to be narrated at the tabletop. So that's a good way of sort of setting a generalization for veils and lines is by giving your game a rating. And X card is an idea that was developed by Golden Lasso Games, and the DM in this scenario places a card inscribed with the letter X at the center of the table. If at any time during the game a player or the DM touches or picks up the X card, the DM agrees that the current scene is going to end and it will be skipped over, no questions asked. The most important part of this is the no questions asked part. It gives players the power to stop a situation that might be uncomfortable for them without any fear of recourse or judgment. If a player in one of my games grabs the X card, we actually use a scold goblet, uh, not a card, but it, it serves the same purpose. Just fade the scene to black with a simple phrase like, I'll leave what happens next to your imagination. And then I ask if we want to take a short break and start the next scene. 
The next thing I like to focus on during my session zero is game balance. I want to include time to discuss the balance of the game with my players, give them the opportunity to weigh in on how they want the game to feel. And by this, I mean the balance of role play, combat, uh, skill challenges, or any other elements that might dominate playtime. For example, I could inform my players that the campaign is going to be 70% role-playing, 20% combat, and 10% of time doing other stuff. I'd also make sure that balance works for each of the players, and if there needs to be an adjustment, I'll make it. Remember, it's everyone's game. As a DM, you're responsible in some degree for everyone having a good time, so try and be flexible with your own game design so that everyone at the table feels like they're getting what they want out of game balance. Finally, we're going to have two more things that I want to look at. It's house rules and player expectations. And we're going to start with house rules because it's pretty simple. If you're implementing any house rules into your campaign, the place to inform your players of those changes is during session zero, not later. Players usually have a plan for what they want their character to be almost immediately. And house rules can fundamentally change the way that a character can be played and the way that the world can be interacted with. If you inform your players of the challenges right away, you can avoid those kind of complications later if your rules don't fit well with what a player had planned for a character. I can't tell you how many times I made this mistake in my DMing and didn't talk about house rule changes or feat changes or anything like that. And then when the time would come up, I'd be like, oh no, that's not going to be in the game or it's working this way instead. And the player would be say something along the lines of, well, I designed this whole character to get to this point so that I could take this and it would work the way that I assumed it was going to work. So that's something you want to avoid. Be very clear about your house rules. And lastly, let's talk about player expectation. Um, I'm going to talk about this kind of generally. Uh, ultimately, this is part of what we've already been doing with Session Zero already. All these tools we've discussed are ways of setting and understanding expectations and game expectations. But there can be a lot of other things you might wish to discuss as part of your player expectations that aren't covered in these rules. Uh, for example, what does the group do when a player is not going to be at the game? Do you, Does the DM play their character or does their character shift off screen where they can't be killed or hurt but they don't get to add any benefit to the party. So things like that. Um, do they just have a designated person who's going to play their character if they're absent? That can be a workable solution. Another thing you might want to discuss is whether you allow your players to drink or smoke at your table, or how many players need to be absent from a game before you cancel the session. What about how are people supposed to act during the game? Do they have to act in character all the time? Is there going to be literal uh, taking of every word that they say as as a word that their character said, like if they make a sarcastic remark, is it treated as an out-of-character joke or an in-character statement? So this list of questions can go on and on, and I don't want to waste too much time on it, but I think you should answer most of the questions I presented here as well as anything else that stands out as unique to your table, your group. Now with all this done, your session zero is is completed, you have good expectations, you have your characters built, you have their backstories. It's finally time to place your main characters in the first scene of your story and start the campaign. I know it feels like a lot of work, but remember, these last three episodes technically could have all happened in the same evening. I mean, you could do all of those things in one day, and then the next week when you come to your game session, you're ready to go, uh, ready to play. Or, if you've got a really long gaming session and a group with great availability, like we all wish we had, like whole days of D&D &D morning to night, then you could 
do all of that and still play in the same day, which is, you know, like a dream scenario. Let's make that happen. But that's it for today. Let's go ahead and move over to our knowledge check. Today, I'm just going to inform you about a resource that is available out there. It is from the Level 1 Geek website, and it is their Ultimate D&D Session Zero Checklist. It is an excellent resource. I can tell you I have used this specific checklist in my own games. Actually, the last game I started running, I used their checklist, and it's very in-depth. It gives you a lot of uh, very detailed descriptions, and it was very useful throughout the campaign to be able to refer back to this list that we made that we were able to write out all of our decisions on it. And so we always had a very good idea of what our expectations were. And it goes over everything from table expectations to scheduling, house rules, the framework of the campaign. So I would definitely recommend taking a look. The Ultimate Session Zero checklist and it is going to be in the show notes you can find the link to that down below and if you cannot find it go to level1geek.com backslash dnd slash session slash zero all right that's it for today cyclothids as always please give me a rating or review on apple podcasts or spotify and as usual you can find me on instagram at dungeons underscore dragons underscore psychology where you can find a link to my link tree. There is also one in the session notes. And from there, you can find me on all the platforms and connect with me that way, as well as through email. Until next time, we'll see you.